you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library, and my name is Jeff Milo. Joining me on the podcast today is Laura Holton-Thomas, who is a writer, author, and a creative writing instructor. Laura published an amazing collection of short stories uh, in 2017 called States of Motion. That was through Wayne State University Press as part of the Made in Michigan Writers Series. Laura's stories are very poignant, very personal, very much focused on the character and the struggles that they are going through. And these are struggles that so many of us have probably gone through in our own walks of life. So there's relatability here, there is empathy here, These are compelling characters. They are sometimes mercurial characters. They are tough characters, and they are going through this moment in their lives where they feel like they've already been tested in their past, but they are now going through this new sort of crucible, and there is discomfort, and there is fear because things feel like they are changing, and maybe they are clinging to the past, or maybe they are longing for some sort of sense of inner peace. And, you know, these stories aren't about action or mystery or crime or science fiction. They are very human. They are right here on the streets of the suburbs or in the apartments of of cities. And the stories in States of Motion take place in Michigan. So if you are here and local and listening, already automatically very relatable, but very relatable characters and we talk about creating these characters with Laura as well as her creative process as well as the rewards of teaching creative fiction and what that can what that can be like and I present my theory that we all have a writer inside of us and Laura agrees with that too but we talk about that uh, also expansively here on the podcast now Laura was on this show uh, several months ago not in an interview capacity but in a uh, performative capacity. She was reading an abridged version of a short story that she had written. It was called initially Underlying Conditions, and it was about characters working through the early stages of the pandemic. And I say working through, not just working through it emotionally, but actually working. So there is a, a frontline worker in this story, and there's a high school student in the story. And, you know, that is that is all that's all a boiling pot onto itself being at those points or those circumstances in your life when you have all of this exterior global stress of a pandemic coming down on you into your own personal world. So she read that on podcast. You can find it uh, in our previous episodes, of course. But now that story is actually going to be published and it's gone through uh, a slight change. It has a new title, which Laura's going to talk about. It's called Stay Home, Stay Safe. So we'll be talking about that short story And we'll just be talking about why it's so good to write, just in general. I mean, it's good to read, too. Reading makes you a a better writer. But uh, anyone out there, if you just want to get started right now, you open up your laptop or get some notebook paper out and just start writing and get it down on the page. And we talk a lot about that, too, about how you just got to get that messiness down on the page. You can rearrange it later, and it's, it's going to feel cathartic at the end of it. So with all that said, we are now going to talk to Laura Thomas, creative writing instructor at the University of Michigan, but also a writer and author of States of Motion, and now the new piece, Stay Home, Stay Safe. Six months ago, we started 
a writer's group here at the library and I sort of administer it. Uh, you know, I am the host who, who runs those meetings and I have found it to be very moving because everyone in that room is not necessarily a professional writer and there's a lot of beginner writers and it just drove it home to me that everyone has a writer inside of them and it maybe they're hesitant to bring it out or there's they have some self-doubt about bringing it out and i just imagine it must be a very inspiring experience to be in the role of a creative writing instructor but i just wanted to ruminate on that that idea and see if you got behind it everyone has a writer inside of them I would agree with that. And I really liked your use of the word moving because I I don't hear a lot of people talk about how moving it is to teach writing. And I imagine teaching the arts. Yeah. I find it very moving to teach creative writing. Mm-hmm. I think for many of the reasons you just touched on, it's very inspiring to see folks. And I've taught um, different age groups, but of course my specialty is undergraduate. So Mm -hmm. we're talking 18 to 22 years old for Mm -hmm. the most part. Some of which, or many of which even have some creative writing experience because one wonderful thing that has happened in the last 20 years or so in, uh, in the K through 12 curriculum is more of an emphasis on the creative arts from elementary school on. By the time I see a typical student, they've been doing some creative writing usually for, you know, a number of years. And so I would say that, yes, they all have writers, not only within them, but some kind of history with putting that writer self on the page. I, you know, I am never more impressed, happy, amazed as I am when I'm reading student writing because everyone writes about something different and what's inside and what comes out is different for absolutely every single writer. And I've been doing this for, I can't believe it, 20 years. No two are alike. Even if we were to be a little reductive and think of it as the subjects in school or college, you think of math and science, chemistry, biology, those are so exacting and they have uh, equations and they have all of these boxes that you can fit into and you kind of figure it out. That's all like solving a puzzle sometimes. And history, it's all about research, but creative writing, English, that's like extracting that expressive magic outside of you and, and formulating the thoughts in your head. It's, it's, it's much, it's just much more special. I I just gave myself goosebumps just describing it. And I'm going to follow up with that and say I agree with everything you're you're saying, but one of the very magical things about writing, uh, teaching writing or doing our own writing is that at some point it does have something in common with the history and the math folks in that when we're putting it on the page, there is a puzzle that we're trying to solve or there is some kind of organized practice, whether our subconscious wants to call it that or not, right. the very act of putting it on the page and especially revising it um, down the line after you've gotten that first draft out, no matter what it takes. <laughs> and sometimes it takes a lot. I think when we talk about, can anyone write or is there a writer in all of us? It's because the process is so forgiving and you can make it your own. And if you are the highly analytical type of writer, there's a writing process for you. And if you're more seat of the pants (laughs) and don't want to plan, then there's a process for you as well. (laughs) Obviously you have been writing for your entire life. Uh, There's a 
great interview that we'll link to in the show notes with Midwestern Gothic, where you kind of lay out all of that. But tell us about your writing life and how that developed and how you got to to where you are now. Well, the magical thing, another one about writing, is that that for me, and I imagine for many writers, has really changed um, a lot depending on what type of writing I was doing at the time or am doing now and what stage of life I was in. So there was a time when I probably was a little bit more of a, I won't say analytical or organized writer, but I had more of a firm schedule that for the most part, and this is when I was younger and still had the uh, illusion of control that I could have a schedule. (laughs) Then I had kids and that all went away. Uh, But prior to kids, um, I had a writing schedule and I would, my thing was I had to have a good three or four hours to make it worth it, right? You know, so I would block out every week, my three or four hour blocks several times a week. And I would sit down and go deep and, you know, do what I, you know, had to do and, You know, that was my time. That was my practice. And then, like I jokingly said, I had kids and that went out the window. And then my process became, where can I find pockets of time? So when the kids are napping, maybe there would be a day when I wouldn't nap at the same time as them. And I would, you know, grab a few minutes or, you know, at that point I was teaching full time and actually also had another job um, and had very young children. And so I would really learn to grab pockets of time where I could find them. And I learned a really important lesson from that. And in that, you know, it was hard for me at first to, uh, I had a lot of grief around, I will never have three or four hours again to, to do this. But I learned that you can actually write good stuff and make really good progress working with the conditions in your life as they stand today. And it's not maybe like it was yesterday, and it might be different tomorrow. You might have more challenges. You might have fewer challenges in scheduling your time. But you know what? The work gets done if you if you do it and do it in different ways. So, Absolutely, because I think that's another thing that folks have difficulty when they're trying to flex their writing side or they are hopefully wanting to try to flex that writing side inside of themselves is when am I going to find the time? And, and then there's that voice in your head because it is just you and the page, at least until later on down the road, maybe, maybe it becomes a book, but so much of that early process, it's just you and the page in your own head. And you're like everybody else, like me, we're always hard on ourselves, you know? And then I, I have to stop sometimes and say, Hey, you got one page done today. That's not nothing, you know, even just one page per day. And, and I guess celebrating all the little progress, because like you just said, the work gets done, even if you just have a half hour per day. You if know? you do a page a day for a year, you've got a novel length manuscript. <laughs> yes. If you do a couple of pages every other day. Yes. It gets done. It yeah. gets done. Yeah. yeah. And then just a little bit about yourself. We always talk about this whole salt of the earth vibe, but you have some interesting earths and salts here it's new hampshire and wisconsin and michigan is your path yes yes well i was born in new hampshire but i moved to you know outside the motor city when i was still pretty young so i'm really pretty much a michigan gal but uh with with uh yankee parents and yankee roots you know so uh there's a little bit of the you know midwestern sort of uh more laid back you know, vibe mixed in with the, you know, a little bit more, uh, (laughs) like you say, salt of the earth. 
Um, I did live in Wisconsin for a short time when I was younger, and then we moved actually back to Michigan. So, yeah, so I've been a resident around Ann Arbor for a number, number of years. So, yeah. How did you get to, you said Ann Arbor, how'd you get to the University of Michigan? So there was a job opening that popped up years ago. So I'm a graduate of the residential college where I now teach. And my undergraduate degree was in creative writing and literature and also Russian language and literature. I I said that I lived in Wisconsin when I was small, but of course, I also lived in Wisconsin when I got a graduate degree at the UW uh, in Russian language and lit. Um, And after my master's, I moved back to Ann Arbor and worked in the private sector for a while. And a job opening came up in my alma mater of the RC and uh, the RC needed a part-time creative writing instructor. And I got that job, you know, just continued to teach my heart out until I was full time. And the rest is history, as they clichéingly say. <laughs> Russian literature. Yes, uh, indeed. What what else would a writer study? <laughs> over the period of quarantine, I actually read the Brothers Karamazov. So I hope I'm saying that right. So I got you through are. Some... <laughs> you are. Indeed. Some... I'm most impressed. Uh, it was it was I appreciated it. It did feel a bit like a slog, um, quite quite arduous. But uh, those, those Russian novels—they're a genre unto themselves. They are very, and that is one of the more challenging novels. As a matter of fact, that is on my list of rereads. Mm-hmm. I have not read that novels um, actually since I was a student because I'm with you. I found it very difficult. Mm-hmm. I found the characters to be. Uh, un- unlikable on many levels, right? Um, and Dostoevsky is a very philosophical writer and really kind of, I mean, before the word was, you know, uh, you know, sexy, kind of deconstructing his characters on the psychological level, which always struck me as a little bit um, complicated and cold-blooded. But to be honest, <laughs> the more I have, you know, written, the more drawn I am to Dostoevsky's how unlikable can you make these characters and still have your reader get something out of them and be like you know okay you know but I kind of get this I don't want to get this I don't really want to face up to this but I I do kind of get this person you know let's talk about people um you know there are there are novelists out there and you know I won't name names we know a lot of them and most of them are famous where it almost feels like they're characters are the secondary and or formulaic and the just the whatever exciting story they want to throw them into is the selling point you have always been focused on characters and and these people and what they're going through and often the emotional breaking points that they are at uh and you're you frame them very empathetically. I just wanted to talk about that and talk about what draws you to character. Obviously, there are stories, there are short stories, but it we when we read one of your stories, we bond with that character and we're on the journey with them. First of all, may I say I really appreciate you saying those words about my writing, um, that the characters are, that you have empathy and a connection with them. I appreciate that. Anyone who's read my work knows that the, the description of me as a short story writer is maybe a little bit uh, not... <laughs> I'm a longer story writer. Um, some of my stories are are short, um, but typically they're they're longer, and that's because I like to hang in there with my characters a little bit longer than maybe is uh, fashionable right now in short story writing, for sure. I also like to follow my characters' dialogue a little bit longer than is fashionable right now in lit 
fiction. So that does end up making my stories a little bit long. What draws me to these characters, I guess I am interested in folks who are on the threshold of some kind of thing that they're grappling with and capturing them in a moment where the usual way they've been either refusing to cross that threshold or dealing with their stuff just isn't going to work anymore because either their community has changed, their family structure has changed, there's been some kind of issue, problem, tragedy that really kind of forces them to push reset sometimes in ways that aren't very graceful. And I guess I relate to that, you know, on a personal level. You know, so that's that's what draws me. And I think the other thing I would say about what draws me to not maybe the characters and also just the style of writing that I do is I'm much more engaged in moments than I am in the overall plot. So just speaking to what you said about, you know, a lot of uh, novels and even some short stories nowadays are really, I think the whole Pixar story first mantra has, uh, you know, really been in fashion in the last, you know, 15 to 20 years for sure. And I, I do think that story for a lot of writers, because it can sell your script or it can sell your novel, I think a lot of writers do put story first. And I'm just much more interested in the moments, um, whether or not the story even, I'm not talking about my own work so much as just the stuff I enjoy reading. I've been reading a lot of Iris Murdoch recently, novels, um, not short stories here. And I just appreciate the fact that although her work is highly structured, it, it doesn't feel that way. It kind of feels messy um, in terms of plot. But I'm drawn into moment after moment after moment with these characters. Some of these moments really don't make sense on the intellectual level, but boy, they sure resonate on the emotional level. And, you know, that's just kind of what I what I personally like. Life is messy. Life does not have a beginning, middle, and end. And reading your stories made me think about my own life and how I could be in the middle of a story right now without even knowing about it. Sometimes I'll just get a, a maybe it's a text from my sister and it's something about my parents and it, it's advancing the story of my life in, in these little ways, in these little moments. Or my brother walks in and he we have like 30 seconds of an exchange and it's, but there's something consequential and then we move on. This could all be moving ahead in the story of my life. And we're coming into your stories and we're seeing all these folks who are having all these moments and having all these dialogues. Another thing about your stories is that these are characters who have often already had to deal with something in their past. It's like they've are, they already are tempered steel in a way. They've had things they have dealt with. And now they're at this point where they're like, oh man, things are just going to change all over again. And I am past that threshold. And one of the things that we all dread is that those big, big, big changes or, you know, personal, if not minor, but personal tragedies that feel like they're just going to change our whole world. That's kind of frightening in a way. And then to the, the stories that you write, that we can relate with someone else who's maybe going through that brings that comfort is it catharsis? I don't know what it is, but it's a little bit of solace maybe. So that's like, that's the powerful stuff that you're doing. I don't know if that resonates with you, with what you do. Thank you. I really appreciate hearing that. Uh, yeah. And I like what you're saying too about, and again, this is something I just relate to personally. One, a character or us in real life can feel like, yeah, I've dealt with some stuff, you know, and that 
been resolved. I feel good about that. You know, I've, I've forgiven myself for this, or I've forgiven this person for that or X, Y, Z. And then something comes along that sort of challenges your sense of peace about that. And you really have to, um, I'm just intrigued by the ongoing nature of uh, forgiveness, of resilience, the fact that these are not one shot deals, Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, something that bit us 20 years ago could come back and bite us again. And regardless of how much we think we've evolved or how much a character thinks they've evolved, perhaps, (laughs) perhaps there's new evolution (laughs) in in the future that needs to happen. Um, So I'm always, I think what you said before about that one text being about the one text about your parents or your sister or a friend and maybe that text is even rather innocuous, but it captures the story of what is going on and could have layers of impact on you sometimes. And you're not even sure why in that moment. And it's going to take the next few moments for you to kind of come to that and maybe challenge the sense of uh, stability that maybe you come to. Not to read too much into what your texts are, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> It just, it gets me thinking about, and maybe you could speak to this too. I don't know if this ever comes up in class because I feel like this is almost too psychological or metaphysical, but well, you know, you authors, writers, me personally, perhaps you too, we write in order to, to deal with stuff, in order to process stuff, even if it is fiction and it's a different character going through something different. There is something that we, the writer, we, the creator feel or something that we locate or achieve when we get to the end of that. You know, we always talk about how Tolkien was processing World War One through Lord of the Rings, even though he denies it, or Hemingway was processing the Spanish Civil War. Uh, you know, there's a, maybe it's emotional trauma or what have you, and then the writer gets to the page and works through something. You know, isn't that, isn't that true? Do you find that to be true? I do, and I find it true in two senses. One is just subject matter you know what's what's bothering me today what's yeah you know what what do i need to write a story about to figure out and usually i don't think every writer is this way but certainly usually i'm writing about something that bothers me and usually it's on a more micro level than the examples you cite uh i tend to be a little bit more you know on the domestic level not just in the sense of the household but the local you know deal that um, speaks to me rather than the backdrop of other large-scale tragedies. So there's there's landing on that subject matter, but I also think that part of the catharsis of writing, again, at least for me, it may be different for other writers, is the fact that I get to choose a process that's cathartic. So I think in my so-called real life, you know, whatever that phrase means, because I'm a teacher and also do some administrative work, you know, I have to be pretty organized. Of course, I, you know, my kids are are almost grown now, so I'm doing less organizing as a mom. Um, but you know, there's a certain amount of administrative organizational skill that I have in my real life. I have to fulfill in order to do what I have to do, you know, efficiently and humanely and um, and well. And so, what's cathartic for me about writing, in addition to the subject matter, and sometimes is more cathartic because sometimes I write about stuff that inspires me, but I'm not exactly troubled by myself. What's cathartic is being able to sit down and put those words on the page any way I want. 
I don't have to be organized. I don't have to please other people. I can mess around. I can write something like really crappy and either cry or laugh at that and throw it away or pick out a line and move on. Uh, I can and do end up with messes at the end where that I have to then figure out, okay, how am I going to edit this into something that's coherent? But you know what? That's really cathartic for me to be able to just be messy and disorganized and have notes all over the place instead of my little organized, you know, what have you to do lists and the whole business and the spreadsheets and the, you know, documents. I have little sticky notes everywhere. I write on napkins. I mean, it's a mess, you know, and so that for me is cathartic. I think another writer who finds like, you know, problem solving or puzzles cathartic. I know several writers like this. Um, what's cathartic for them about writing is writing to constraints. So they might say, okay, I'm going to write every single day and I'm going to write, you know, five lines using these words, you know, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's highly cathartic. Is that about the subject matter? Well, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's really just about expressing yourself in a way that you love Mm -hmm. and that you can frankly indulge because at the end of the day, I don't care how professional writer you are. You don't have to show anyone what you've been working on that day. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I always just say, just get it on the page, no matter how messy it is, you can work it out later. And it's not like, well, if you are at home and you are just the creative writer and you want to start your memoir, (laughs) I'm self-conscious with you here in the zoom room it's not like a teacher has to look at it it's not this is just for you on the page don't worry about a teacher although you do have to assign actual writings to students i wanted to dig into that the domestic level and the local level because i think that ties into the story that you read here on our podcast which was called underlying conditions and it was rather topical could you tell us about that story and i think it's going to be published somewhere Yes, yeah, so it's coming out in a couple of weeks in Fail Better Journal, which I love the name of that literary journal, Fail Better, um, because that's, <laughs> that is the quintessential writer's mantra, Fail Better. Um, yeah, so that was, um, that was a story that was cathartic on both levels for me. So it's about um, a mom, and it's told from the point of view of a mother uh, navigating the early days of the pandemic when we were... So she's a uh, 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 grocery shopper. I almost named um, the company. I won't do that, but it's a, you know, she's a grocery store uh, delivery worker in the early days of the pandemic when we were freaking out and everyone was ordering online. And um, as the story opens, she's pregnant. She really needs this income and she needs to figure out, you know, she's wearing the face mask and doing the, remember how we had, we were wiping stuff down. I mean, those of us who were freaked out like I was, you know, wiping our stuff. She's got the wipes in her Honda. She's got, you know, all this stuff. Um, And then the other point of view is her teenage daughter who has had to go remote and is cut off from her friends. And right before the pandemic hit, she had actually gone in. She they they have recently moved to a new neighborhood and the teenage daughter had uh, fallen in with, um, you know, a a crowd who had this scheme going. And I won't I'll just leave it at that for um, not giving away too much of the story. But now the scheme you know, is maybe uh, needing to be handled a different way because of the pandemic and being cut off and being at home. So that's what the story is about. And for me, it was cathartic in in two ways. 
one was uh, I was, you know, pretty freaked out by the start of the pandemic. And I continue to be pretty freaked out about what I hope is going to end up being the tail end of the pandemic here, although it's a pretty bad tale. And so I really did want to write. I think everyone at that time was either not writing at all or writing about the pandemic. And I wanted to write about someone who did not have the option I had to teach remotely and hunker at home and do my bit that way and stay home, stay safe, um, which is the new title of the story that's coming out. I changed the title from Underlying Conditions on your podcast to Stay Home, Stay Safe when I um, edited it after reading it for you. Um, So I wanted to write about someone who really had to get out there, you know, um, who put her body on the line and it was a pregnant body at that and didn't have the choices I had. And then I was also just wanting to write from the point of view of this teenager who, you know, on top of having just moved away from a beloved neighborhood, you know, is just trapped at home and, you know, was trying to make inroads with the in crowd. And now that's kind of falling apart. And, you know, just what that was like in real time. I started that story that summer, um, summer of 2020. I think a lot of writers, and maybe I'm being naive, had to sit with this at the beginning. And by the beginning, I say, I mean, March 2020, and decide whether or not they were going to to put it on the page in a way, whether that their next project, presuming they were planning on starting a new project in 2020, would just be the status quo, if you know what I mean, or just not acknowledging it. You know, there have been plenty of new books even coming out now here in the late, late summer of 2021, where it is just not formulaic, but it is a novel of a fictional story character. And maybe it's it's not mentioning masks, et cetera, et cetera. So that must have been interesting for every writer to personally deal with that. How am I going to, how am I going to write? Am I, am I going to deal with it head on? You know, was that kind of in your head and, and did you find it, I guess, a little overwhelming at first or did you, did your vision kind of crystallize somewhat quickly? You know, fiction's weird because it's, it's not like memoir or personal essay, you know, fiction plays the long game. Because it takes a while, to, not that it doesn't take a while to write an essay or memoir, but, uh, you know, essays feel more immediate. And, of course, we're all used to just devouring content, most of us, that is news-based, which are, you know, there's articles and also essays. And we're just, I mean, I was constantly reading everything I'd get my hands on, um, nonfiction-wise, about this pandemic from the get-go because I wanted that information. I wanted different perspectives. There's an immediacy to that. And fiction is just not that way. It takes time to, you know, figure out how the characters are relating to the, to the, you know, whatever the episode is. And also, frankly, by the time you finish the story and it hits the world, that can be, you know, I mean, I'm lucky to have this story come online, you know, in a couple of weeks here. And, you know, it still feels rather, you know, relevant, but Lots of novelists after 9-11 wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. And we didn't start getting real 9-11 thoughtful novels for several years after that episode. Whereas Bruce Springsteen just like released an album practically right away that made us all cry and made us all feel better. You know, so fiction is just odd. It just plays the long game for lots of different reasons. You know, the length of the publication process, the length of the 
writing process, you know, it's, it, and it's just almost always by default going to be, you run the risk of it, of the story or the novel being outdated or almost insensitive, you know, without enough passage of time that there's sort of a perspective on it. And there's been time for the, the, the episode or the, the event to percolate a little bit which is why so many writers on the novel level go back in time. I mean, historical novel is very powerful in commentary it can make on our current time. And there's a reason for that. We've all had time to study World War II or the Civil War or, you know, the Spanish flu of 1918. It's just, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just, it's hard to write about current events and make a good piece of fiction out of it. I, I don't know. I when I just wanted to write this story. That's all there was to it. I didn't expect it to be published. I was really happy to read that early draft on your podcast. That was really special for me because that was a pretty new draft that I read, you know, um, for you. And I revised it. I was really surprised when it was accepted. Um, and I'm thrilled that it's coming out. That is kind of a happy accident that doesn't, at least for me, with fiction in particular, does not happen very often. And maybe... I'm just guessing here, but it does seem like you thought of these two protagonists in your head and in your heart, and your instinct was to contemplate how someone else could be coping with this right now. And the story blossoms from there, but it does start at that, as I said, that empathy level of thinking of another person. Okay, who is this person? How is this person coping? What's this person's situation? And I just see it, I see the road unfurl from there for you. I, you know, I would say that is that uh, Stay Home, Stay Safe is an example of a story where I was so moved, to use that word again, by these frontline workers, not only healthcare workers, but the folks delivering the groceries and the folks going into those meatpacking plants who just, who did that. You know, I, it, it, it moved me. I, I just couldn't believe how brave these people were. And, and of course, why are they brave? Because they need to support themselves. So by God, they got out there and did what they had to do while I was hunched over my Zoom call teaching creative writing. That that moved me to such an extent, I just had to put something down. And then, um, I, of course, uh, in my population of college students, um, which I made my character a high school student, because it would be even more, I think, challenging, to be honest, um, you know, at the high school level, just the wholesale uh, disruption of a social life and a social circle that at that particular age is almost more important than almost any other aspect of your life. You know, you're just beginning to separate from your family. And I, it broke my heart. It, it did. And so that story really was um, one of my stories. And there are others that have been motivated by similar, just pure emotional decisions. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't care whether the story ever even worked. You know, I just wanted to let these folks have their say you know, and, and just honor this. It goes back to that threshold that, that a high school student is at a threshold even without a pandemic uh, at that point in their life. And then this is not this other threshold or the frontline workers who are probably feeling as though they are in some hellish tunnel. And the threshold is what light is at the end is the end of the pandemic at the end of this tunnel, uh, that, that crucible sort of thing. So and, and I just tie it back to how we all feel like we go through our own little crucibles 
once a year, twice a year, or sometimes, you know, it rains, it pours and, you know, life, we have our, we have our stumbles and talking to you and reading your stories reminds me of how powerful it is to share those stories and how we can connect with each other over all that. So, um, no question there. I'm just rambling for you, Laura. That's, that's my thought on that. It's a good, it's a good thought. And I do think that that powers the impulse to write. I think that the more, um, a writer feels the world, the more likely it is that that writer will persist and also come to terms with the fact that not every story may work, but you are going to just do it page by page anyway. And that goes for memoir for, um, for those of us who, you know, want to just start that, that work of fiction or start that memoir or start that essay. Um, you know, it, it's, it's scary to start. It can be frustrating to start, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, the, the folks who just feel like it just has to be said, and, and those are the folks who are going to sit down and do it. And it's really important to do. Yeah. It's important mm-hmm. to do for yourself and it's important to do for the world, whether it gets published or not. Absolutely. We are, uh, and I'm sure you encounter this even more so with college students, but we have become a, every generation is very much about writing status updates on their social media. You know, uh, you know, oh, yeah. we are very much used to sharing and we're very much sharing everything. And I think it's also important to remember that writing a book takes uh, a million times longer than writing a, a social media update. And it takes 100 times longer than a blog post. And <laughs> just, you gotta, I like how you quantify that. Jeff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> There's that uh, impulse that we have to share what we're doing. And I think that writing has to remain something very meditative and private because it will be for four or five months. And then hopefully you can share it with someone. But uh, it is this meditative thing with just you and yourself and your mind and your heart and uh, uh, patience and fortitude is important. <laughs> it is. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that um, in our you know modern times yeah. and this moment that we're in with the social media, I, I do think that reclaiming that privacy is restorative for the writer oh, yeah. um, and for the reader because reading is private. Yeah. You can talk about your the book you're reading with with a friend or with your book club or or whatever, but you don't have to. It's a private act, you know? Um, and, uh, so, so is writing and it's just really, I do feel so when, when we say it's important work to do for the world, it's important to the self to get into that deep meditative private space, even though it can be, I mean, you know, Jeff, you write, I mean, is it fun every minute? I mean, (laughs) not really, (laughs) but you know, um, it's, 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 it's yours and you know, it's what you make of it. And it is not a tweet. No, no, it's, it's a lot more than that. But it reminds me, and and I'll just wrap up here. It reminds me of what is also common in, in your stories and your characters. It is about this yearning for a sort of a peace. Maybe if it's inner peace or maybe it is just peace in the household and the <laughs> writing brings that inner peace. And, uh, I, you know, I would wrap up of course, by encouraging folks to, and we'll link to it in the show notes, check out States of motion, your short story collection. And we're very excited about stay home, stay safe. Yes. Coming, coming soon. So we'll link to more information 
about that. And I just can't thank you enough, Laura, for joining me on our podcast. It's been great to talk to you. Jeff, it's been great to talk to you. And I just want to thank you not only for this interview, but for the wonderful, generous work you're doing for all Michigan authors. Where's, you know, some of my fellow authors that you have uh, featured on your podcasts are are famous and some are are not. And we're all just doing the best work that we can. And I cannot tell you what it means to have you and the Ferndale Library showcasing our voices. So thank you for that generous work. Oh, so happy to. And I wanted, I guess, to, I want this on the podcast is that I feel like I have discovered such an amazing community of amazing folks here in the Michigan writing scene. Every single one of you I'm a fan of, not just because you're good writers, but because you're just wonderful human beings and you all root for each other to be following all of you and seeing you cheering for each other. It becomes an ins- inspirational to uh, to see that. So glad to have this podcast and glad to have that opportunity to keep having these conversations. So thanks, Laura. All Thank right. You, And that was our chat with Laura Thomas, who is the author of States of Motion. We'll have more info about that short story collection in the show notes, as well as info about the new short story that is going to be published uh, this month here in September. So appreciate Laura joining us again. She was here previously to do a reading, and now we just got to chat. And we thank you for listening to that chat. It's on a little too quiet. That's the name of our show. If you ever want to, you know, recommend it to a friend, it's uh, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and the music that you hear at the beginning and end of this show is by a local musician known as Zunset. If you want to support this podcast, you could go to ferndalefriends.org, or you could uh, like, uh, subscribe, follow, whatever those options are out there on iTunes. Leave a comment, or if you like this episode share it to social media we'll be back next week with more thanks for listening